Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and my colleague Paul Rickard joins me. Hi, Paul. Hi, Peter. Well, Paul, at the risk of sounding very old, I'm going to invoke the introduction to the great Ed Sullivan show and say, today we have a really, really big show. Jerry Harvey, Alan Fells, and an expert on sleep. Well, it's interesting we've got uh, Jerry Harvey, Peter, because uh, Harvey Norman reported last week that rounded out... Uh, the so-called company reporting season. Now, uh, that's most of Australia's listed companies they report in August, their half-year or full-year profit. I think Harvey Norman was pretty well the last company or close to the last company to report, the last major company. Yeah. It got a reasonable reaction, but I think... Um, Look, uh, but he mentioned the R word. Jerry he, mentioned the R he word, mentioned recession. The R word. He had pointed to some encouraging sales to, to start this financial year, yeah. but uh, yeah, a little bit, um, a little bit more, I'd say bearish, Peter, but not quite the upbeat Jerry Harvey I yeah. expected. Well, we'll have a look at our interview with him uh, later in the program and see if he actually is as bearish as he kind of seems. Mm. Sometimes the media will misrepresent you, I've been told, but uh, we'll see what Jerry's view is on that matter. We've also talked, we're talking to Alan Fells, who was, of course, the famous ACCC boss. He has a new book out called... Was he the first ACCC boss? Because he certainly, if you talk about the ACCC, he's the person people most remember. Exactly. There may well have been some forgettable person before him, but he certainly put the ACCC on the map. Gee, he kicked some butt in his time, didn't he? Well, he certainly became the, the con- a consumer champion, yeah. and uh, I think he kicked some butt politically as well. <laughs> he, so uh, He still does, uh, by the way. He still does. Mm. His new book is called Tough Customer, Chasing a Better Deal for Battlers. So we'll be talking to Alan later in the program, and then we'll be talking to an expert on sleep. And um, I think many of us will learn something about that very important thing called sleep. That's the show. Without any further ado, let's go to the founder of Harvey Norman, Jerry Harvey. Jerry Harvey, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Pleasure. All right, so let's kick off, Jerry. Um, how do you regard your report? It, it didn't look like you shot the lights out, but was it one that you are happy with? Parts of it I was happy with, parts I'm unhappy with. Um, I've just come back from overseas and I... I was in Ireland, so Ireland's wonderful now. We've had a turnaround there. All the big losses are a thing of the past. And I went into uh, our new shop in, in Northern Ireland, and uh, it's our flagship store there, and I thought it was the, the best-looking shop in Northern Ireland. And our shops in Ireland look terrific, so I was very happy with Ireland. Slovenia and Croatia I thought were wonderful, or they're a very small part of our business. We will be opening more shops in in Croatia. Um, Malaysia, I'm really happy with. Singapore, I'm really happy with, but not as happy as Malaysia. New Zealand, a bit disappointing, and Australia, a bit disappointing. Okay, so how important is the growth of the Australian economy to the the results that you produce each um, each half year? 
Well, they're the major part of our business and have been forever. Um, so uh, it's very important, but the other's growing and, and, and we have got a target to produce 50% of our profit overseas in the next few years. So at the moment, I don't know what it is, 23, 4, 5% or something. So that's fairly substantial compared with where it's been in the past. So if a quarter of your profits are coming from overseas and that's a growth engine for you, uh, then then that's pretty significant because if you look back in the last 200 years and how many Australian retailers have tried to to make a go of it overseas, there aren't very many. And, and, um, and the fact that Harvey Norman... You know, like it's not like it happened overnight. We've been overseas for twenty years or more, so but it is now starting to um, to really work for us a lot better than it ever has. And 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 the future for overseas, I would have to say, has never been rosier. So from our point of view, um, there's a big incentive to to really push that overseas because. You know, we can see we're getting a very good result. Now, Jerry, you mentioned uh, in your result that uh, in Australia, at least, comparable store sales are up in the, for the first two months of the year, up 3%. And I think that followed uh, essentially quarters. They were down most of uh, the last financial year. Is that a function of the election, lower interest rates, a turnaround on the property market? How would you uh, pick up in consumer confidence? All of those things coming into effect here? Maybe. Maybe not. So from my point of view, I'm looking at it and thinking, oh, that was good, July, August, up 3%. But if you said to me, will that continue for the rest of the year? I'd say, I don't know. Could it be down 3%? Oh, gee, I hope not. Um, what would you think? And I'd say, look, if I can get last year's figures, I'll accept that. I won't be happy. And if I could get 3%, Every month for the next 12 months, I'll be delighted because in this climate, trying to get last year's figures in most of our stores has been quite difficult. So, Jerry, historically, have elections been, um, you know, um, a creator of bad times for retail? I think less and less as the years go by. Um, I think that politics right across the world has been so, never been in greater turmoil. And um, and people are maybe just getting used to it. it it's like um, the difference it used to make, like two or three months before the election, sales start to drop. Um, and then two or three months afterwards, not so good. And then everyone, oh, well, whichever party's in and they get on with life. So, um, but now because it's so volatile all the time, um, and largely because the world's a different place now than it was 10 and 20 years ago with this volatility. You've got strange people like Boris Johnson and and the guy in America, uh, Trump, and, and you've got these people that are, you know, quite strange that in times gone by, you wouldn't give them a chance in hell of ever getting to those jobs. But they've getting that sort of a profile and, and and being different. 
So why are these people that are different being elected? Because people are probably, they just want to change. They want to get away from the uh, the regular-looking politician, whoever, whatever they thought he looked like. They want, they want someone that gets out there and they're a bit crazy and they say, I'm going to change the world, and they vote for them. Jerry, you also announced a, a small capital raising, I think a one for 17 entitlement issue at $2.50 uh, to help pay down some debt. Uh, a couple of questions. That's a pretty small raising. And two, uh, is that something we'd like to see uh, your focus in terms of uh, strengthening the balance sheet going forward? Well, I've done that like, big discount to the uh, share price on a number of occasions. Now, I mean, maybe that's the third. I'm not quite sure. I think it is. Um, certainly, we did it last time, but, but the share price wasn't four fifty at the time. It was maybe three fifty or something like that. But we did it at two fifty, and I thought, I wonder why other people don't do that. They nearly always do it with a with a a price marginally below the share price at the time, and they mostly wait until their share price is at a, at a high level. So that when Harvey Norman goes to 470, oh, look, you can have some shares at 450, and then the share price drops to four bucks. So um, I've taken a view that if I give it a 250, a shareholder will be four or five cents better off straight away in terms of they got the share at a, at a, at a substantial discount. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get the dividend of 21 cents, which franks up to whatever it is, 27, 8, 9. So you're over 30 cents with, with the two offers. So that if you bought a Harvey Norman at 450 at the moment, you'd effectively be paying, say, four, under 420. So, you know, that makes it very appealing, I would have thought, because, you know, you're buying, at four dollars less than four dollars twenty when you pay four fifty. So I thought the shares would go up in price. Instead of that, they went down. So they went from four seventy to four fifty to four thirty or something, and now they've gone back up to four thirty, four forty. I don't know what they are. So um, the market's a funny place. Yeah, but Jerry, part of the reason uh, for this capital raising, and you surprised me because you know I, I hang on every word you say after reporting season. And you, and you mentioned the recession word, you know, pretty freely. No, no, and, no. And, and, and look, it sounds like you're predicting a recession. You, you're not predicting a recession, are you? No, 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 because David Jones did that. They beat me to the punch. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then people came out and asked me if there was a recession, the media. And yeah. I said, look, I don't think there's a recession at all. I said, so from my point of view, business is, you know, I, it's difficult. We're battling to get last year's figures. We've got unemployment at very low figures. Interest rates are very low. There's no way you could say Australia's in a recession. So I, if I said that, I'd be mad. And David Jones are mad for saying it. They're the only ones that did. So they were lonely in that respect. So, you know, I've not said that at all. All I've said is, look, I want to have a very good balance sheet because one day a recession will come. Maybe a depression will come. There's no way it's not going to come. It always does in every country in the world. So when it does come, I've got net assets of $3.2 billion. 
and I want a strong balance sheet. I've got, I've got equity, uh, I've got debt to equity of under twenty percent. So then, a lot of my opposition have got zero, absolutely zero assets, net assets. And I look at that and think I'd hate to be in that position. But the market doesn't seem to worry. It thinks it seems to think. You don't need net assets. All you need is profits or potential profits. Then you get priced on your profits or potential profits, and you don't get uh, priced on the fundamentals, your real assets. And so I look at that and think, oh, well, that's just a phase the market's going through. One day when the recession does come, they'll wake up and say, oh, gee, you know, oh, oh. What a mistake I made. Yeah, old, Jerry, so, old Jerry was right. Well, because one advantage of getting old, mate, is that, is that you've seen all these things so many times before and you talk to the 30-year-old young genius and he's telling you how the world really operates and you're a dinosaur and you look at him and you think, silly young pup doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. And if you if you abuse him, he gets angry. And if you, if you say, mate, you'll learn one day, he gets angry. And if you agree with him, he's really happy and away he goes. Yeah. So, you know, they just haven't been around long enough to see it. If they read their history books, they'd understand that recessions will come. And when they do, when you get a recession where 20% of the retailers go broke or even 10%, right, that's that's fairly bad, but that's what happens. But, Jerry, and, and, it, it does sound like you're a little bit um, saying, you know, sales are tough, it's hard to get any growth. I'm just wondering just sort of, uh, you, 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 you're loath to use the recession word per se, but it doesn't really, you're not really a foreteller of great times ahead. Is that is that a fair read? Yeah, because I, I think that, you know, with interest rates heading towards zero and with that not, growing the economy, and with unemployment around 5%, and that not growing the economy, and then you start to talk for the first time about quantitative easing, and nobody ever talked about that in Australia up until recently, that you're starting to look at it and saying, I can't get growth. The other countries in the world I'm comparing myself to can't get growth. Uh, so... Um, so uh, what am I going to do? And, and, the, and the central bankers and the economists and the politicians have no answers at the moment. Hey, Jerry, have you taught short sellers a lesson? No, I don't think so because they'd have disappeared if I had. <laughs> so they, they're, they're out there. And it's the strangest thing that, you know, our short sellers here a few weeks ago were 105, then they went to 120 or 125, and then they came back to 105 all over a matter of a few weeks. And I thought, oh, so now they're still around, I think they're around 105 mm -hmm. at the moment. Maybe they're 110, I don't know. And But that means somewhere along the line, they've got to buy all of those shares, and that's going to cost them $500 million to buy those shares. They're sitting there at some stage with no alternative but to buy. Now, as long as I can perform pretty well, um, then then they're going to be sitting there, I hope, with a big headache. And, and you know, if I go to bed wishing one thing every night, it would be 
One, that they have a royal commission into sheer manipulation and, and, and uh, short sellers. And two, that if they don't have that, at least a lot of people give them a big headache and get them out of the game. But I don't see that happening. Jerry, look, uh, Jamie Hi-Fi looked like it reported better than you, but I'm sure you can set me straight. So did they report better than you? And if they did, why? If they didn't, tell me why. Well, you would have to go through the categories, and, and certainly in 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 the categories JB Hi-Fi are in at the moment, uh, a couple of those categories, they did outperform us. But then if you go into uh, TV, white goods and all that sort of thing, and the good guy's part of the JB Hi-Fi outfit, um, then um, at the moment, I think they outperformed us till the end of June, but since then we've outperformed them. But again, it's so marginal. And then when we check our um, market share figures over the last year or two, um, the truth is that JB Hi-Fi, the good guys, and Harvey Norman own most of the market. And there's neither, none of the three, their market shares are not changing to any, to any extent. It's not like one's getting a sudden kick and beating the hell out of the other one that the one gets up a little bit for a minute and then the other moves the other way it's just very close and so if you had to look out over the next two or three years you'd have to say that those three retailers probably their market shares are not going to change very much um but Maybe some of the others out there that still survive may not survive. And so the market shares of JB Hi-Fi, Good Guys, Harvey Norman will probably go up a bit over the next few years. The other thing is that uh, JB Hi-Fi and the Good Guys went to New Zealand. Uh, The Good Guys pulled out because they couldn't make any money there. Um, JB Hi-Fi haven't pulled out, but they've made losses there. And and so I think at the moment their losses are nil or something, I'm not sure. But we're making very big money there. Well, like I don't know what we make seventy million a year there or something. So when you when you look at New Zealand, we beat the shit out of them. Um if you look at Australia, I think it's all pretty even. And then if you look overseas in the other countries where they're they're not, and we've got growth in the other countries. So if you if you want to look at it as a big picture, I think, you know, you, you could say that there's not much in it in Australia, but in New Zealand, where we're so far ahead, it doesn't matter. And in the rest of the world, we're there and they're not. Yep. So when you compare, compare us to them and our future, my view is that uh, we're so far ahead of them, it doesn't matter. So that's not necessarily the view of a lot of analysts out there. They have a different view. Uh, I happen to be... A little bit different to them, that's all. Jerry Harvey, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. Peter, that was a pretty interesting interview with um, with Jerry, but it just does lead into our, t- our TV show. In fact, we've got two TV shows, and Jerry's going to be on the first of those. That's right. So tonight, um, around 7.30, we'll be going to air with our program, which is heavily oriented towards stocks, uh, and we'll be looking at uh, why the market is actually ignoring, in many ways, the, the trade war situation and what stocks people should be buying as a consequence of how they're dealing with the, the battle between uh, Donald Trump and 
Xi Jinping of China. Um, and then Tuesday, of course, we've got this new property show starring the guy who predicted 40% house price falls, Martin North. So how do people um, access the, these new TV shows? Okay, it's really simple. There, there are complicated ways. Okay, make it super make simple it. for me, Pedro. Yeah. Normally, you're the simple guy. So. so go to your search engine, Google, Yahoo, whatever you use, then just type in YouTube and Switzer TV and up come the programs. We don't even need to work with a big television station anymore. We can do it ourselves, thanks to YouTube. Our next guest is Alan Fells, uh, known as Dr. No in his old days at the ACCC because he was famous for saying no. And Alan has a new book on the market, Paul, called Tough Customer, Chasing a Better Deal for Battlers. Yeah, I think the no, he blocked a couple of big takeovers from, from memory oh, yeah. and uh, Dr. Doe. But look, he has been a consumer, a, a champion of consumer rights yeah. uh, and still is apparently. Yeah, big news he was during his period of time uh, heading up the ACCC. Let's just see what his new book's about. Alan Fells, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Thank you, Peter. Uh, now, it's great to see that there's a new book out with the appropriate title, Tough Customer. You've never, ever been renowned for giving soft love ever since your ACCC days. Um, is this a, a biography of all the stuff that you've done over the years to try and protect the customer? Yes, it's mainly stuff since the ACCC. There are some other fields in which I've been active. Um, one of them was overpaid executives. Uh, and the two strikes rule, which I more or less had a big role in creating and getting going. Another one was taxis, getting some competition there. And another one was uh, arising out of the 7-Eleven saga with underpaid workers. Alan, have you ever been um, threatened by interest that you were really stepping on their toes and they were worried about your investigations hurting their profits? Uh, yes, there's been huge pressure. Um, at least uh, it's not been physical stuff. Um, I may have had one or two threats of that in smaller areas where there are a lot of individuals. But generally, there's a lot of pressure to get rid of you on the government. Um, there's also... Uh, sort of unpleasant articles that they arrange in the media. And, of course, when that's done, they don't just say, he's doing a bad job on issue X. They tend to drag in every bit of personal stuff that they can. And um, I've certainly had a few people who'd write articles saying that, you know, he's in dereliction of duty and uh, there's a law that if someone's derelict in duty, they can lose their personal fortune and all that which is intended to worry my family, except family understands it, not to be taken too seriously. Now, Alan, you were quoted in the uh, Financial Review last week as saying that, uh, that the court, there should be a court-ordered power to break up the big businesses, including the banks, energy companies, audit firms and tech giants, uh, just to help obviously close the gap in competition. Um, just how important is that, and uh, if so, which of those parts in particular do you think is, uh, is there more a need for a breakup? Well, I think you need a general power to break up in the Competition Act, where 
talking about energy companies, banks, auditors, the um, platform or digital giant, all of them are being talked about. I'd actually prefer to see an orderly, proper way of dealing with it. I don't want politicians to do it, but there is a case for the courts doing it where it's appropriate, where it would work well, where there has been illegal behaviour. Same as in the US. The US very successfully used the divestiture power Mm -hmm. to break up telephones, oil, cigarettes, chemicals and others. But while there's a lot of merit in it, there's one I'd particularly like to emphasise, and that is that if there was a divestiture power in the Competition Act, Business would take it far more seriously, particularly big business in their relation with small business. At the moment, there's one bit of the Act, the Section 46 Abuse of Market Power. Now, that just isn't taken very seriously by business. Usually, the biggest threat is maybe some minor fines, but it's pretty hard to get a case going in that field. So they're not worried about it. But if there was the possibility that they could be broken up, it would make laws protecting small business far more effective and indeed frightening to big business than at present. Mm. So, Alan, I noticed that you know, you've ripped into the Hain Royal Commission for not delivering serious structural change. Have you had a chance yes. to, to run your eye over AFCAR, the Australian Financial Complaints Authority, to see whether you think this is, A, something that's a useful addition, and B, if we had something like that and well resource, maybe the, the financial institutions wouldn't have been behaving so badly? Well, I agree with sort of the favour of your question. The complaints arrangement prior to the AFCO were very poor. They were unduly run or influenced by the banks. Uh, So you need something truly independent and well-resourced. And I think there are signs that that is um, an area that some movement has occurred on. And um, that would, you know, that does deal with the many areas where there can be customer satisfaction or bad treatment of them. And do you have a sense, Alan, whether um, sort of like looking at the top-down sort of view of the Australian economy and the behaviour of, of big companies, uh, since the advent of the, advent of the competition law, do you think things are getting better or is it still our, our major corporations have got a long way to go in terms of uh, their behaviour, particularly with respect to uh, small business? Um, look, I think they have some way to go, particularly their behaviour regarding small business. And on the one hand, it is quite true there are bigger fines and more active ACCC and Mm -hmm. things like that. But the other side of it is that the temptations for for big business to act in that way, the profits available from that sort of behaviour are bigger and bigger every day. So um, it's kind of a Greed factor is growing forever as our economy grows and we get richer and so on. The temptations are very, very high and in many ways growing. 
And so does the uh, ACCC have enough power or does it, would it as you're suggesting earlier, that perhaps uh, this, this court-ordered power to enforce a breakup, is that something else it needs? I think that's the single most important thing, to give it a power of breakup. And it wouldn't be used much, but it would worry business into better behaviour. Um, also, um, I see some merit in Rod Sims' suggestion that the merger law it ought to be made a bit easier for the ACCC to win cases in court. There's usually an army of lawyers defending big business. And it's also a future test. Is this merger likely in future to harm competition? And um, it's a bit easy for the defendants to run out sort of fanciful stories of all kinds that, you know, things will go really well in the future. There's nothing to worry about. I think that rather open-ended thing in the Act about whether it's likely to harm competition is a very, very big loophole. Okay. Now, Alan, one thing I don't understand, which I, I know you can explain to me, is how did you get sacked by 7-Eleven? I didn't know you ever worked behind the, ca- the counter at 7-Eleven. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, so after um, the four corners exposure of 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven asked me to make up the lost pay. And I think they weren't quite aware what they were in for. So using Deloitte's, I quickly totted up a bill of $165 million that they had to repay. They thought it might be a bit less. And um, they called me in and one of the better sackings I've had, normally for incompetence or delay or stupidity, this one... They congratulated me on doing an excellent, inspiring job. They'd learned a lot from it, and they'd take over the job themselves. So, um, you know, that that was it. They sacked me with thanks. And then um, that got a lot of publicity, as it should have. And so the coalition government, the present government, got concerned, and they asked me to do a general report on the whole problem of underpaid workers in areas like hospitality and restaurants, in contract cleaning, in security, in horticulture, and a number of other areas, particularly for temporary migrant workers. So I put in a report on that to um, get a bit more done under the law. And the coalition accepted my proposal. Okay, Alan, have you talked about in your book your scariest encounter with a politician, a politician who didn't like what you were doing? Well, um, I think uh, I was pretty worried when the Howard government came in in 1996. Um, They didn't really like me very much. I'd been appointed by a Labor government. That didn't help. And they had heard a lot of criticism about me from big business. And my claim that the fact that I was complained about was a sign I was doing the job well, not badly, was discounted. But within a couple of years, they changed their tune. And when the GST came in, they needed a strong law enforcer. And they suddenly decided I was good. Mm. And they were quite complimentary. They gave me additional resources to run the ACCC. And uh, my relationship 
picked up and improved with them after that. This goes to prove that objectively you're a gun for hire. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, you know, but, but it is the essence of it. And it's not a bad point to discuss that you've raised. The essence of being a regulator is this. It's really simple. Parliament passes a law. There are fines and other sanctions. You're the cop and you just come across someone acting illegally, you take them to court. That's it. Okay. But I just noticed, you know, ASIC and others have been reluctant to take people to court, even though Parliament wants them punished. Hmm. One, one last thing from uh, Paul might have another question, but one last, you know, I've always been you know, easy to, to praise you for your, your great work, but there's one problem I've had with you and also with Graeme Samuel, I think was your successor, and, and I think he might have explained to me the age, I always wanted the ACCC not only to protect the consumer, but to be a much bigger champion of small business. And yeah. it, just, it just seemed to me that the consumer always came first and the competition bit was supposed to help small business. Is that a fair call that the ACCC isn't, hasn't been a stronger supporter of small business as small business needed? Well, I think it is true that it's tended to put the consumer first. And, of course, often... Small business is the consumer. So the small business lobby does support a strong and strongly enforced uh, competition and consumer law. They very, very rarely directly suffer themselves, but they benefit when we block mergers, uh, anti-competitive behaviour, exploitation of small business. But I think it's probably fair to say there is some bias towards the final consumer. Yeah. Well, mate, I look forward to reading your book. Um, and Thanks I, a lot. And I won't, be, I won't be buying it to improve to improve my insomnia. I, I'll, I'll be reading it. <laughs> I'll be reading it over the holidays. But I've always enjoyed your um, your no nonsense approach to uh, regulation. It's a great pleasure talking to you now. Um, good. Thanks. Have some good sleep. Yeah, okay. And the name of the book is <laughs> Tough Customer Chasing a Better Deal for Battlers. Speaking of books, Peter, you have a new book. I certainly do, Paul, and it's called Join the Rich Club. It's been designed to help people grow their wealth, the easy and entertaining kind of way. And, and you know, because I've got you to proofread it, there's a whole lot of stuff there that people should know and they don't know. And I've just delivered it in a very simple way so people can actually read it and actually start investing from day one after reading the book. So how do people get your book? It's very simple. You go to www.switzerstore.com.au, $24.95. And I can assure you, if you can't get richer after reading that book, I'll give you your money back. Uh, look, my next guest, we're going to be talking about sleep problems. Paul, do you, do you have a sleeping problem? Look, I sometimes wake up early, Peter, and can't get back to sleep. So I, I'm not sure that's a problem. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be interested to know what oh, I mate, tell, tell someone who cares. I, I, I really didn't really want to know a full you know, a mapping out of your difficulties in sleeping. You've probably got a really bad conscience after criticising me all the time for being optimistic. But anyway, let's just deal, take that offline. And let's talk to our next guest, whose name is Marcella Schlepiker. She's the Director of Clinical Services from Access EAP. So Marcella, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Well, thank you for having me, Peter. Okay, why don't you tell us about 
Access EAP. Okay, so we are an organizational psychology consulting firm and we are in the business of providing employee assistance programs to organizations and businesses. Mm. Basically, we look after the well-being and mental health of employees. Okay, and and the issue that you you are, are, are reaching out to lots of businesses to think about is sleep deprivation and how it affects the productivity in a business. Why, why don't you explain the key issues around that? So, I mean, you know, all of us have different sleep patterns, but what we're talking about is a lack of people, people who are not able to sleep and how that impacts on people at work. So it impacts on concentration. Um, it impacts on our ability to think clearly um, it then impacts our ability to retain information, our memory, and also, of course, it impacts on our mood. Um, so the less sleep we have, the more irritable we can become. And if we're irritable, then we're not as patient <clears throat> with our colleagues at work. And, and, Marcella, for that, and Marcella, is there a minimum number of hours we should sleep each night or does that depend on the individual and perhaps the quality of the sleep? So I think you're right, Peter. I think it depends on all of that. Um, I mean, the rule is about eight hours, um, but some people need more sleep and some people need less sleep. But eight is the sort of guiding rule and people need to work out what works best for them. And so can you define sleep deprivation? Is there... I mean, how do we know if I'm, how do, would I know, for example, if I'm sleep deprived? If you're not sleeping enough um, hours per night for an extended period of time. So if you're struggling to sleep night after night after night mm-hmm. for an extended period of time. So the longer that you are deprived of a good night's sleep, the um, worst impact on you in your mind, you can get you know, your mind can get worse and worse and worse in Mm. terms of concentration, thinking, um, and your mood. Um, People become depressed because they don't have enough sleep. Yeah. So so what are the habits that are affecting so many Australians who are suffering sleep deprivation? I wish that was an easy... um, question to answer, but there's many things that um, impact on us and our sleep. Um, One of the things is our fast-paced world of today um, and our always, you know, with technology and devices, um, we are always on. We always have access to social media, to our emails, to Netflix, to whatever it is that we're interested in, games, on our devices. And so... Um, spend a lot of time on those devices and those devices um, stimulate our brains for making it harder for some people to go to sleep, fall asleep. Um, And if we're working all hours, then of course we're not getting relaxing or resting and getting enough sleep. So So before we go to sleep, Marcella, we ideally should rest or do something that... uh uh, is it going to st- overstimulate us? Is that perhaps what you're saying? Uh, absolutely. So 
we should have a ritual before we go to bed. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is for each one of us finds our own ritual to help us relax and unwind. But we should definitely get off our devices because there's two things. One, it stimulates our brain, but two, there's also the light that emanates from those devices. It's like a blue light which again stimulates our brain, making it harder for us to go to sleep. A lot of people are talking about the value of meditation, uh, Marcella. Is there any evidence to show that this is a good offsetting practice to bring us back to Earth? Um, yes, there's lots and lots of scientific evidence. Um, but I think for some people, meditation might be a bit new agey or hippie or something, but mm. mindfulness is the... It's really just about being mindful and in the present moment rather than in our devices or thinking about lots of other things. So it's about trying to still our brain and all the thoughts in our brain, whatever method you want to use. If you want to meditate, you want to practice mindfulness, you want to listen to an app, music, whatever is going to work for you, um, I'd encourage people to find something that helps them mm. to calm their brain before they go to sleep. For some people, that's reading a book. Mm. I, I, I can remember once putting my son to sleep because I was taking him to a rock concert and I wanted him to sleep before he went so I wouldn't have to carry him to the car. And I got him to listen to a John Houston um, press conference. That put him to sleep straight away. <laughs> See, <laughs> whatever works. Yeah. And, and Marcella, I... We titled the interview about uh, sleep and the impact it has on productivity. Mm. And and I I guess that's also an issue for employers as it is as much for the employee. What can employers do to potentially help or get more out of their employees by making them better rested and, and, uh, you know, actually in a better position to work each day? What are the things that you'd recommend for employers there? Well, I'd encourage employers to... um well, educate the employees to keep an eye out for those people that are tired or fatigued because it could be workplace accidents or road accidents for that matter. But also I would encourage them to, you know, for shift workers to make sure that people know about like how to get to sleep and how that, you know, the kind of daylight, natural day, exposure to natural daylight, how those things impact people. But I think more, most importantly, I'd be encouraging employers to be strict about boundaries um, for being on devices after hours. So, for example, do not send emails, work emails after, I don't know, 7.30 at night, for example. That, that sounds like We've a all, good, good rule lots of uh, people would want to sign up to, but uh, is that yeah. practical in 2019? <laughs> Well, I think um, we survived for many years without that. Mm-hmm. And I think some organizations, absolutely, if they you know, interact with organizations on different time zones, um, then they do work different longer yeah. hours or different hours. That's okay, but it's still about focusing on, a, on some kind of routine so you are getting sleep, even if it's not the traditional nine o'clock until six o'clock in the at night mm. you know it's about encouraging people to get that sleep um, and trying to educate them how technology 
is it impacting on their ability to go to sleep? Okay, one last one, which a lot of people would hate me to ask this question, but I've got to do it. Should employers be encouraging their employees to drink less alcohol at nights? Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a very controversial one. Yeah. For me, if I can just say there's nothing wrong with alcohol if people are um, managing it. So um, if people are using alcohol to help them sleep, if people are using alcohol to manage their emotions or cope with their emotions, then over long term, that's not going to be good. It's not going to work well. It's going to, because alcohol is actually a depressant. So over a long period of time, if you use a lot of alcohol to self-medicate, that is to go to sleep, at some point that's not going to work. And in fact, it's going to create more problems in terms of becoming depressed. Right. Okay. Um, so, so I wouldn't encourage or discourage. I think it's about being aware um, of the impact of alcohol and why am I doing it. Right. And Marcella, presumably people could find out some more. Do you have a, a website where people can go for information? Absolutely. It's www.accesseap.com.au. Thanks very much for joining us on the program. Thank you very much, Peter. Look, I've got to say, I do feel bad about giving Paul a bit of a going over about his confessions about his sleep problems. I'm not going to ask you about your sleeping issues, Peter, but yeah, yeah. Uh, look, it was a great show today. It was a great show. I love getting you know, controversial characters like Jerry Harvey and Alan Fells. They are legends of Australian business, really, when you think about it. Well, they are, particularly Jerry with his uh, short sellers. And what he, he says he still can get a great copy going. And uh, he's a legend, as is Alan Phelps. Yeah, without a doubt. That's the show. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us.